way, you know, we talked about those things we are accustomed to. Uh, key word there. Uh, because of the leading of the Lord, we're going to do something different. But yesterday I was talking to somebody in the, in the parking lot, and they said, what are you up to today? And uh, I listed off all the things that I needed to get done, including I need to prepare a message. And their response is, well, you ought to have that down pat by now. Um, I mean, something, I think they're implying something about my age and the fact that I probably preached 40-some Easter messages over the decades. And I said, yes, but I don't want to fall there. I don't want to go back to just something I have down pat. I want something that the Lord drops into my heart for us for this day, for this Easter. And uh, my prayer, and those have been in the cantatas and even the Christmas production, every time that we do one of those productions, my prayer is, Lord, help us to see something fresh for us today. Not just the old story, the story's the best story that's ever told, but to have a perspective that touches me where I live at this moment. And uh, so we're going to do a little bit more than just a trip down memory lane of the Easter story today, although we're going to include that to begin with. And then we're going to take it a step further today of what I feel the Lord's laid on my heart. The title of the message, for those who have notes, is Easter Doesn't Matter. Doesn't Matter. And then I added one more line right after that. Do I live like it's true? Do I live like it's true? We come and celebrate it, but do I live it? Jesus Christ is alive. We're going to read from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And uh, we're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you're a Bible student, don't worry, I'm not going to preach all 58 verses today. But I want to look at just a few verses. We're going to look at the first few verses to give you a setting of of this chapter. And then we're going to jump down to one of the major thoughts in the middle of the chapter. So beginning reading in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. In these verses, we find three very important truths about Easter, about the resurrection day. Three things that people who've attended Easter services over the years, you've heard these things, but we're going to review them real quickly. Number one, Christ died on the cross. Christ died on the cross. The word Christ that Paul uses is very important. He didn't just say Jesus. He said Christ, which means the anointed one. It means the Messiah. 
It's the one that God chose to send to be our Redeemer. Christ died on the cross. The very Son of God died on the cross. Two, Christ died for our sins. He died for our sins. His death was a substitutionary death. Jesus had no sin. This is absolutely important. If Jesus had sin, death would have had a hold on him that he could not have broken. But when Jesus went into the grave, there's nothing on his record. So he took the keys of hell and death because he conquered death. Read the last couple of verses of chapter 15. Death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus said, I'm he who is alive and was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. Because he conquered death, because he conquered sin, he lived a sinless life, born of a virgin. It's not Christmas, but never get away from this. He was born of a virgin. Adam's blood did not flow in his veins. Number three, Christ rose from the dead. Paul said, this is what our faith stands on. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, he died for us, and God raised him from the dead. Three days later, he said, he was resurrected. He was resurrected. He was not resuscitated. There was no CPR, no EED. He was dead, but he resurrected to life forever. Now, there was people in the Bible raised from the dead. They were resuscitated because they died again. They had to have another funeral for those folks. There will never, ever be a funeral for Jesus. Another one. He died and he rose and he became, he, he rose in his, with his immortal body. If you read the rest of the chapter, Paul tells us we too will experience resurrection because Jesus opened up the way. We too will experience resurrection because Jesus opened up the way. Because he rose, there's going to be a day when we will be resurrected. In this chapter, Paul tells us one of the mysteries. That's hard to comprehend. But there is coming a day when Jesus comes again that if I'm not alive then, if I'm out there at Longview Memorial in that box, and whichever one of us goes first gets the bottom box, and then another one gets the second story. No sense of buying too much real estate. When Jesus comes, if I'm in that box, these, this body that has decomposed will be reconstructed and this mortality will put on immortality. And I'll have the kind of body that Jesus has, the one that walks, or the one that just appears and disappears. It's going to be great. <laughs> forever, forever. I'm believing I'll be forever 30. There'll be a reuniting of the spirit 
and the soul and the body. The message of Easter we share most often, that's the part we've, we always share. I want to skip down in chapter 15 to the part that I really feel the Lord wanted me to share with you today. In verse 15, verse 32, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? You see, there was people in that church that had come along and said, there's no such thing as a resurrection. You just live and you're gone. I don't know, someone might have even believed in reincarnation, but no resurrection. He said, what, good is it, what do I gain if I do all of this and the dead are not raised? So let's just eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Amen. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For, you have, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. As wonderful as the message of the future resurrection at the end of time and history is, Paul wants us to know the resurrection is the cardinal truth that brings meaning to life. The resurrection, Jesus raising, rising from the grave, and the fact that one day we will be resurrected brings meaning to life. Paul lived from the perspective that the resurrection of Jesus is what gave him his life, purpose, and meaning. Paul wants us to know that what happened on Easter Sunday is the most important thing that ever happened. That's why my dad called it the title page of the gospel, the most important thing that ever happened. Easter Sunday, Jesus rising from the grave gives to us life-altering implications. And this is the first implication. The resurrection brings meaning to life here and now. Paul spent the first portion of his life a good number of years looking for the meaning of life. He thought he'd found it in keeping the laws of Moses, 613 of them, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He thought he had the meaning of life until he met Jesus one day. He had an encounter with Jesus uh, after the resurrection. He said this in verse 8, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. That was on the road to Damascus. Jesus was the one he had been searching for, and he didn't even know it. Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, who are you? I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. His life was transformed. He said, I became an apostle. I have a meaning and a purpose to be a preacher to the Gentiles that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he's coming again. Everyone is searching for meaning. Everyone is searching for meaning. We're wired for meaning. Having been a parent of a whole bunch of children, it seems to never end. But when they were young, I don't, it was probably different for each you know, child as to when that moment was. But there came a moment that they began to speak a word to the point of annoyance. Why? Get up and eat. Why? Clean your room. Why? Get dressed. Why? Because I said so. 
but they were looking for what's the meaning of this? Why are we doing this? Why do we think this? We look for the meaning of life. There was a period of time in the 1980s when I had the privilege of working on the grounds crew for the Longview School District, which meant I got to push a lawnmower, a power edger, a weed eater, a blower, you know, backpack blower. I got to pull weeds. I tried to learn how to put on that weed killer really good so I didn't have to pull weeds again because <laughs> if there's one thing I hate, it's pulling weeds. But after working on that job a few months, every week, go back and mow the same grass, edge the same lawn, pull the same weeds. I don't know how that happened. But there came a moment why am I doing this? What's the meaning of all of this? Just going around and chasing my tail, so to speak. There are those who have experienced, and there are those who are in the midst of an experience right now, an unexpected tragedy in your life, an unexpected diagnosis in your life. And what's the first question? What's the meaning of this? Why me? Why us now? Really, God? We're all searching for meaning. We're looking for purpose. Paul addressing people who have doubts or even unbelief in the resurrection says, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. The meaning of life is tied to one thing, the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave on Sunday morning. The meaning of life cannot be separated from the fact that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, the only logical thing to do is live for him. You have a hard time proving that he did not live, did not exist. You have a hard time proving that he did not rise from the grave. We read 500 people saw him, eyewitnesses. If he's alive, that means he is who he said he was. And the only logical thing to do is commit my faith and my life to him. That's what's at the center of Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians as you read the whole 15th chapter. In the 32nd verse that we read, we stand at a fork in the road. If Jesus is alive, it calls for one response. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he's just another man, so here's another response. If Jesus is not alive, then living as a Christian is a total waste of time. If Jesus is not alive, and there's a typo in your notes, for those who are following the notes, put an E instead of an A in that word then, then, I'll have to talk to the person who typed it. <laughs> if Jesus is not alive, then living as a Christian is a total waste of time. That's what he said. What do I gain, humanly speaking, I fought with the beast at Ephesus. 
Now, we don't know if he actually was in the arena with the wild beast in Ephesus or if he's speaking metaphorically. There's some non-biblical literature that puts him in the mouth of a lion at some point. And we don't know if that's fact or fiction. We do know as reading the scriptures that many times David and Paul both metaphorically talked about their enemies like they were beasts. And when you think about the depravity of mankind, it's not very far stretch to put a name on them like that, that they're a beast of some kind. Remember, he told one group of people in Philippians, beware of dogs. And he wasn't talking about, he was talking about people, talking about heretics. So he said, if I fought with these kind of things, in verse 31 he says, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, Lord. I die every day. Have you read the story of Paul and what he went through after he became the chosen apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ? It was not a picnic. He said three times the Jews beat me with their rods 39 times, 39 stripes. The, the, the Romans beat him with a whip. He talked about the fact that he was shipwrecked two or three times. They even stoned him leaving him for dead. They thought that those rocks had killed him. He said, I, I, why would I go through all of this if Jesus did not rise from the grave? It would be foolish. It would be cruelish. In verse 19, he says this, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If our only hope in Jesus is what we have here and now, he said, you're a sorry lot of people. You're to be pitied. Now, I heard my dad say numerous times, even if it's not all true, I want to thank God if there is a God for the life that I've lived. It's been a great life. Paul says, you're stupid. He said, what's, what's the point if there is no resurrection if there is no life after this, let's eat, drink, and be merry. A few years ago on social media, there was an expression that showed up all the time, Y-O-L-O. YOLO. You only live once, and the inference was, just live how you want to live and experience everything you want to experience, because you only live once. Well, you know what? I'm going to live twice. So I'm going to be careful how I live the first time. So I live for the second time in the right place. Somebody says, well, even if there's no resurrection, I'm going to live a good life and leave a legacy so my name will go down in history. Sounds good, sounds noble, and that may work out for you. There are some people in history that we remember their names and we remember great things about them. But have you noticed that the culture right now is trying to erase all of those good things about those people and erase their names from history? It'll happen to us if the world goes on, the cancel, cancel culture. How many people have become famous enough to be remembered for thousands of years? A while back, two or three months ago, I was watching one of the game shows on the Game Show Channel, which is my favorite channel to vegetate on because I learn a lot. And I don't remember the question, but the answer was so obvious to me. 
The answer, I mean, I'm, t I'm yelling at the person, it's Michael Jordan, it's Michael Jordan, it's Michael Jordan. And they said somebody like LeBron James or somebody in this present time. And when the person said, Michael Jordan is the answer, this person said, who's Michael Jordan? Yeah, they were a lot younger than me. <laughs> but my point is, here today, gone tomorrow. Now, some of you, you've got into this DNA thing in your family tree, but how many of you can tell the names of your four great-grandparents what they did for a living? Some of you, you've gone down your family tree, most of us don't want to go down the family tree. We don't know what kind of nuts might be out there. <laughs> if there's no resurrection from the dead, living for the sake of legacy is, as Solomon said, vanity of vanities. It's all emptiness. You may feel like living to help whoever you can help, because that'll bring you joy, it'll bring you meaning in life, and that's true. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But I've discovered as much joy as there is in giving, there's a whole lot of pain that goes along with it. Because oftentimes, when you're trying to help somebody, they turn around and stab you in the back. They abuse, misuse what you gave to them for good, and they turn it into something for evil. Vanity of vanity. And I'm not telling you not to help anybody. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if that's the only reason we're living, Paul said, why? Let's eat, drink, and have a good time. History is full of names of, of men and women who thought it through and they came to this conclusion, there is no God. And if there's no God, there's no afterlife. So I better accumulate all the power and the wealth I can in this world right now. Men like Stalin. Men like, what's that guy in Russia's name? They don't believe in God. At least not the way that we do. So they think it's all about what I can glean, what I can gather. John Paul Sartre said, life is an empty bubble floating on the sea of nothingness. As a man who didn't believe in God. Life is an empty bubble floating on the sea of nothingness. So Paul is saying here, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we might as well live for ourselves and enjoy the trip. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we might as well live for ourselves. The hinge on what everything in this life turns is the resurrection of Jesus. But here's another thought. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, there's no power that can come into your life to change us, to transform us. Scripture tells us that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. There's a change. Scripture says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that only happens because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. If there's no Holy Spirit, if there's no resurrection, then it's all up to us and our self-improvement efforts. 
There's individuals who think education is the key to changing our world and changing our life. Just educate people. How's that working out so far? Dwight Moody lived in another era of time, said if a man is stealing nuts and bolts from a railroad track and you send him to college because you want to change him, the higher education is only giving the tools to steal the whole track. If we bring it up to this, this day and age, some youngster who's learned how to hack into the internet, send him to college and give him more instruction and next thing you know, Stealing millions. Education will not change you. Only the resurrected Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The only hope of transformation is Jesus in me. So back to 1 Corinthians 15, 32 again. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beast at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as it is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Three imperatives. Paul said the resurrection gives to us three commands that we need to look at today. Number one, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Most every Christian parent has used that last part of that verse 33, bad company ruins good morals to tell your children, be careful of the friends you choose, be careful who you hang out, and I don't like that friend, find another one. Bad company ruins good morals. Now Paul was not saying don't spend time with unbelievers, he's just saying be careful, because the people we spend time with will have influence on our lives. The people we spend time with will have great influence on our lives. So who was Paul warning the Christians about? Who was the bad company? It wasn't the thieves. It wasn't the whoremongers. It was the people who did not believe in the resurrection. Who did not believe that Jesus rose or that we are going to rise again. It was people with bad theology. You see, my belief and my behaviors are linked. Doctrine matters. My belief and my behavior are linked. Doctrine matters. What our closest friends believe has an impact upon what we believe. And what we believe has an impact on the way we act. In the context of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is telling these folks, if you keep on hanging with these people who do not believe the gospel message the way you received it, as I received it, you may end up walking away, walking astray. What an appropriate warning for Christians today in this culture 
in which we live, where tolerance and the acceptance of things that God calls sin, accepting them as normal and okay and the way God created it. I'll just leave that and go on. The resurrection validates this book that I hold in my hand. The resurrection proves that what those men wrote is the word of God, that it is true. The words of life are found here. And the warning of the scripture is, don't go adding any more to the revelation of God. Don't go taking it away. Take it as it is. See Jesus Christ and the Father as revealed here. Paul warned us about being deceived in another letter. In Galatians, he, he warned that church about deception. He said in, in verse 7 of chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh, reap corruption, or will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Do not be deceived regarding the resurrection, regarding the cross, regarding the fact that one day we will resurrect and be with the Lord. Life eternal. Number two, the second command is wake up. Wake up. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor. That's the way it says in the ESV. Wake up, that's the English Standard Version the New International Version. Come back to your senses as you ought. Come back to your senses as you ought. That reminds me of the story in the Gospel of Luke, the prodigal son, when he came to himself. When he came to himself, he said, in my father's house, there's plenty of food. I'm going to go home. So wake up. Come back to your senses. When, when he's talking about being drunk, I don't think he's talking about being drunk on alcohol. It's a matter of being in the stupor of bad doctrine. It's in the matter of, of living in the fog of deception, believing something to be true that is not true. And like the drunk who ends up running into the tree, running over the cliff, the person who does not believe the right thing is headed for disaster. When Paul wrote the letter to the, the second letter to, to, to the Corinthians that we have, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, um, he wrote to them, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Satan will do everything he can to deceive even the, the elect. You need to be centered on the word of God as it appears here. Wake up. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, and I don't remember a whole lot about it, but because it was referred to me in my studies, I went to YouTube and found the part of the movie that fits right here. And it's the Disney movie, The Lion King. Y'all seen The Lion King? Okay. The scene on YouTube is called The Ghost of Mufasa, Simba's dad. 
when Simba's dad died, Simba decided I'm going to run away from everything and I'm going to go live my life the way I want to live it. I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm, I'm going to put aside every responsibility that because my dad is gone and it's not the way that I thought it was going to be, I'm just going to go enjoy life. That was his mission until Rafiki, the baboon, stops him and says, your father's alive. No, 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 my father's not alive. I know he's dead. And he says, come with me. And you remember how he leads him to that pond of water. And then he tells him to look into the pond. And as Simba, the young lion, is looking in there, suddenly his face turns into the face of his father. And then his father rises up as a ghost into the sky. And he begins to speak to Simba. And he says these words. You have forgotten who you are, and thus have forgotten me. You are my son. Remember who you are. And he repeats it over and over. Remember, remember, remember. It's a turning point in the movie. Simba wakes up, comes back to his senses. He remembers what his father has done for him, that his father literally sacrificed his life for him, and that his father was now alive through Simba. Simba was part of the royal family and had the responsibility to live out the family name. This morning I want to say, wake up and remember. Remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember, he paid for all your sins. Jesus paid it all. The songwriter said, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He died for you. He died for you. I know it says he died for the whole world, or he so loved the world that God sent his own son. But remember Jesus told the story about the shepherd with a hundred sheep. One was lost. He went looking for the one. He died for you. But you know what? He's alive. Remember, he's alive. He's in heaven where he's at the right hand of the Father, where he prays for you each and every day. He's praying for you right now. And not only is he in heaven, but he's in you by the presence of his Holy Spirit. He's alive in heaven and in you. He's alive in heaven and in you. I'll give you a beat or two I wrote here because these things just kind of, I put them all together. What you need to remember, and some of you don't write very fast. Remember. Remember who you are. Remember what he's done. Remember. The next one is this. Remember this. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I wrote it three times on the screen, and I should have just wrote, filled the screen up. He loves you. He loves you. 
He loves you. Gospel in a nutshell, Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you. He loves you. He loves you. Which means this. You don't have to run from your past, but run to him with your past and trust him. You don't have to run from your past, just take your past to him and trust him. I can't change the past, but through Jesus Christ, I can write a brand new ending on this story. A happy ever after ending. Because he's the one who changes me from the inside out. You can take your past to him because, remember, he will pardon all our sin. He will pardon all. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us all sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And remember this, he will empower us for transformation from the inside out. You don't need a self-help book. You need a reliance on the Holy Spirit and this book. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Testimony of the Lord is wise, making wise the simple. He will empower us for transformation from the inside out. The third imperative Don't be deceived. Wake up. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. In the context of reading 1 Corinthians, I could come up with a whole clothesline list of dirty nasties that you should not do, or I should not do. That's not what he's talking about in this context. That's not the sin he's talking about. He's talking about the sin of being sucked in with those who deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ and choosing to live by, let's eat and drink, tomorrow we die. Stop living as if the resurrection does not matter. That's the sin he's talking about, is living as if the resurrection does not matter. Stop living as if the resurrection does not matter. Stop living to please yourself. Stop the sin of living as if Jesus is dead. He said the cause of their stupor, their sin, they don't know God. They don't know God. And then Paul, he, he, he didn't read modern psychology books. You know, the wisdom of man this day say, you don't put shame on anybody. Right here he said, I say this to your shame. You should know better. You should know better. People are ignorant of God and it's your own fault. Jesus' death and his resurrection are the climax of God's plan of redemption for lost mankind. It's the climax of God's plan for you and for me. Jesus cried, it is finished. 
and then he rose from the grave. Salvation's plan was complete. Because Jesus lives, we have power to obey these commands, to not be deceived, to wake up, Stop living. Stop sinning. We read earlier the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Paul reminds us today of the life and the powerful life that we have in Christ, the risen Savior. So here's the application points. There's a question. Two questions. Am I living with the purpose and power that is available to me? Am I actually living with the purpose and the power that is available to me? We're here today because it's Easter. Thank God it's Easter. Some of us are here because if we weren't here, our dad would come and haunt us. Really, I'm here because I love being in church. I love to be with the people of God, because when we come to worship, God said, I dwell in the praises of my people, and there's something that takes place inside of me, and I just love being in church. Some of you were dragged here with the promise that you could go to brunch (laughs) after the service is over. However you got here, I'm glad you got here. You're not here by chance. The resurrection story is like an alarm clock. Wake up. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus rose and Jesus is coming again. Wake up. Wake up. At our house, since Vicky is semi-retired, Her alarm clock is not set every day. But when it is, she has a favorite button. And you wanted to know what the alarm was going off for. I walked over and hit the favorite button. The last time I turned it off because I don't want to be bothered again. (laughs) But the snooze. You know, when she was getting up to go to the bus garage at, and she would go up, have to be work at 5 o'clock, she'd get up at 3.30, 4 o'clock. At least she'd set her alarm for that, and she'd hit the snooze, wake us both up. I could get back to sleep, and they'd go off again. And those mornings she waited two or three times for the snooze were really irritating. Because <laughs> I didn't have to get up that early. Here's my prayer. Lots of times we come on Easter Sunday morning and we hear the alarm. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the grave for you. And we say hallelujah. And then we hit the snooze button (laughs) and go about our life as if nothing happened. My prayer is, spiritually this Easter, no one hits the snooze button. That we go out, Jesus, the only wise thing, the only logical thing for me to do, you died for me, 
I want to live for you with every part of my being. Romans 8, or Romans 10 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God did what? Raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Last question. Am I living like I believe Jesus lives? Am I living like I believe Jesus lives? As you contemplate that question, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song that wraps up the gospel story today. And then we're going to close in a moment of prayer.